Hey, After Buzzers, before we move on, we would like to say thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, plus there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Bonjour, monsieur et mademoiselle. Ça va, ça va bien, merci. Ooh, we get a job driving Uber. We almost get caught up with underage girls and we definitely get caught having an affair. Astaghfirullah. We are talking Hulu's Rami season one, episode seven and eight. Nemikit pa. And saving Michaela, the After Buzz After Show starts right now. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz... That's right. Nemi Kitpa. As we get French on you, all of you Rami fans, we're talking episode 7 and 8, Saving Michaela and Nemi Kitpa, Nemi Kitpa, Hulu's Rami season 1. Let me explain what's going on because so much is happening. This is honestly Hulu's best show. It's for everybody. I hate reading comments how Rami is such a Middle Eastern show or I don't get it. I'm Middle Eastern. This is an American tale. This is sure being Middle Eastern helps, but being American helps even more. This is the millennial Muslim who is Rami Youssef and this voice is so Rami. I, however, I'm not Rami. I am Tehran uh, and I will be your host as I'm joined by the wonderful panel of all of you at home. It's just us right now. So it's me, you and every one of you at home thank you so much for commenting we always appreciate everything you have to say please make sure to share and subscribe and let the world know that the blessing that is this show amazingly done rami today's breakdown for episode seven nimikipa we're gonna talk rami's mom is feeling lonely uh nimikipa of course meaning don't leave me in french uh mom on facebook mom's marriage mom starting to reminisce this was all about mom mom working out mom meets a friendly lift driver then mom becomes a friendly lift driver uh mom makes food mom's favorite ride mom takes a ride uh-oh that one was giving me anxiety mom and dad remember uh oh, now that one was giving me anxiety in a different way. Uh, for episode eight, we're gonna break that down as well. Saving Michaela. Michaela, of course, being the name of the young lady who was saved, literally and figuratively, in a way. Rami buys something for Ali, that's Sama's son. Then Mo calls out Rami front of his son rami hangs out with steven and we learn so much about them rami at the gas station that was one of the best scenes of the entire season girls are underage rami and the sister or friend and allo akbar kicking down the door kicking the dough waving the foe foe michaela to the hospital daddy's home and that one gave me the most anxiety of all. Of course, we have a special segment, Speaking Rami, where we learn an Arabic phrase that we use throughout the show and a bit of news and gossip. Let's get right down to the nitty gritty. So episode seven, Nemikitpa, uh, don't leave me in French, uh, was all about Rami's mom. Here the here we have Rami's mom, who's an amazing, an amazing uh, character, and we all love her so much. I mean, her... Her just presence always brings light to the to the stage. And what I mean by that is that she always contributes such a dynamic persona. She is the epitome of what we, if you know Middle Eastern moms, is a Middle Eastern mom. We have so much respect uh, for how she plays this. Haim Abbas is just an amazing actor all away all across the board and in this episode we get so much of her in depth overall it was just such an, a wonderful perspective to see how mom or this middle eastern mom is feeling feeling lonely feeling uh feeling that the love or the romance in the relationship is gone and how she almost meanders outside of her relationship starting off of course rami's mom we get that sense of loneliness because when, when the episode starts, what's Rami, Rami's mom is on Facebook and she's not interacting. Here she sees her friends have, have likes, her friends are getting friend requests, 
and she's by herself. She's looking through and she's like, why am I not getting likes? What is this Instagram? What is this Facebook? Why am I not involved? Why is my life not as meaningful as all of theirs? We also get Rami leaving. Rami's leaving, not the nest necessarily, but kind of. He he has his own life. Rami is his own person. So here is a woman who's dedicated her life to her family, and now all of the birds have left the nest, and it really just leaves her. She's alone by herself all day long. And she doesn't know what to do with herself. She doesn't know how to keep busy anymore. I mean, before she had what was a purpose. The purpose was to raise a family and to be a good homemaker and to be a good wife and be a loving, adoring woman to her husband. And now she has none of that. And she's feeling that maybe it's not only do I not have any of that, I also maybe it's not enough. Maybe it's not enough to keep me content. She clearly wants more. We see that with the Facebook. We see that in her attitude. We see her when she's looking at the the girls working out. She's looking at them and she's smoking through the window. But you can tell she's she desires for that that life. And it's not so much working out or being healthy. It's it's social behavior. It's friends. It's it's being out and about. It's being important, feeling wanted or needed or having a life of your own. All three people in her life. Her husband and her two children have lives of their own. Dina's in school. Rami is just living life, being out and about. And then, of course, her husband just works all the time. A very typical Middle Eastern dad thing to do is work. They Actually, they bring it up. They wouldn't even know what to do without work. They live through their work. It's, it's their sense of self-value. A lot of the Middle Eastern dads, that's what they were raised on. That's what they know. They work, 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 work. And I'm not talking Rihanna. So mom, she's feeling lonely. And this makes her feel a bit vulnerable. She also then, we see this we see this existential look at her marriage where there's no relationship. Everything's almost the same. The kids are never home. She sits on the couch. Her husband and her are sitting as far apart as possible, as you can see. Uh, we see her... Sitting, so Farouk is on one side of the couch. They're both watching a movie. When she moves closer, Farouk is unfazed. He's just watching this movie, this soap opera, and and that happens a lot of Middle Eastern households. You don't even want to know about the Turkish soap operas. Turkish soap operas are like crack. Everyone just sits there and watches these soap operas from morning to night. So when Farouk gets home, he's tired. He just wants to eat his little food, and watch his little movie. He doesn't want to interact. He doesn't Even even their conversation is very su- superficial and superfluous. It's just all surface. There's no real conversation. It's all simple things like, how was your day? How was your day? Nothing to the nitty-gritty. And that, that was one of the concerns. Rami's mom is just feeling very lonely and out of place. Here, this is her partner, and you get the sense that there has to be more i mean but they're now their marriage they base it on through their children now that the children are grown up and moved on what is their marriage really about who are these people what what do they do rami's mom had a life way before the marriage so where is this life where is it going to take her she's feeling that void and it's actually a very sobering picture that rami plays for us a uh, great episode by the way and it was uh, Bridget Bedford was the director and I mean was the writer and and Shireen DeBeast was the director and having these two female voices now of course Rami writes on all the shows but having these two strong female voices just be a concept uh, and with Shireen being a Palestinian actor herself. And then a director as well. She just got these subtle nuances for Heim down. It it was almost as if we were living inside the lack of momentum of a Middle Eastern mom. Now, anyone with a Middle Eastern family has seen this side where the parents are married. And at times it seems seems as if it's an arbitrary marriage. You see something where... In, in the media, of course, love is portrayed where it's it's always flashing lights and prom gowns and tuxedos. But that's not the marriage we, we, we very much see in a Middle Eastern household. Oftentimes, 
in Middle Eastern families, parents even sleep in different rooms. It's just customary. They like to sleep differently, and so they sleep in different rooms. And we see we see a bit of that with Rami and Farouk. Uh, I mean, with uh, with Rami's mom and Farouk, or his dad. Mesa is Mesa's just not is not right. So how does that feel to be a mom? You're in this marriage. Now you're no longer a mom. Now you're a wife, but you're not even feeling like a wife. Uh, watching her just almost feel like, oh, she, she's losing it a little. She's losing it a little. But Rami's always dipping out. We see in the beginning of the scene, Rami is leaving, taking the car because Rami takes mom's car. Rami still taking mommy's car, still living at home. Something that's also a very honestly understandable Middle Eastern American character trait where an older person, a 28-year-old still lives at home. Now, mind you, a lot of millennials still live at home for financial reasons. But a lot of, especially American Western families, would be like, oh, well, you're paying rent. That's not what's going to happen in a Middle Eastern family. You're, you're at home. You're welcome to the home as long as you uh, want. As long Before marriage, you're actually kind of expected to stay home. Rami's out all the time. He's taking the car. He's leaving. Well, here we go. Mom is waiting on the porch. She's waiting on the porch for Rami to come pick her up in her own car. Rami kind of takes advantage of mom. Rami is used to just getting the getting his way and getting what he wants and tells mom, I'm watching the game, mom. I'm watching a game. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I'm busy right now. Where's Dina? Dina's at the movies. Uh, we're we're busy right now. We don't we we don't need you in a way. Mom, I'll get you an I'll get you a lift. When Rami's mom is waiting on the porch, waiting for her car to go shopping in order to cook food, which she does every single day, is cook food from scratch for this family, food that no one ever eats because they're always gone and busy. Rami is too busy to pick up his mom. Right on the heels of Mother's Day, by the way. So Rami's too busy to pick up mom, orders mom a lift. Now, we get a concern. The concern is you give this stranger our our address is basically the concept of a Middle Eastern mind. And as that conspiracy turns, I love it. Watching Rami's mom just be like, no, they, have our, they have our addresses. If that really means anything anymore, uh, having address, you can just Google it. You're on Facebook, mom. But that's how they feel. And that, that scene where we get two scenes back to back where Rami's mom needs Rami. The Facebook scene where anyone... Who's anyone who has a Middle Eastern parent knows when it comes to technology, they will always ask you to do it. One time my dad asked me to come and write an email for him, and the email was to me. So that's just how Middle Eastern parents will always kind of ask for help from their children, especially when it comes to Western nuances. And this one, she doesn't understand the concept of Lyft. Lyft kind of dries up. It's a stranger that picks you up. She gets in the car reluctantly, but knows that she has to go to the market. She gets in the car. Rami promises to pick her up from the store. But once she's in the car, she's enjoying the interaction. Here we have an Uber driver who's just friendly and fun and talking to her. And that's something she's missed. She hasn't had anyone to talk to for so long. She isn't talking to her kids. She isn't talking to her husband. Who else is there? There's this Uber driver. Boom. All of us get so annoyed when Uber drivers are too friendly. She was loving it. He asked her to have some water if she wants a mint, and that changed her perspective. I mean, she just brightened up. She felt served. She felt taken care of, and that's what she was missing. She wants to feel taken care of. Well, there we go. That actually enables her and inspires her to become a Lyft driver herself. Rami's mom has such a good time. How many times has that ever happened? Where, where you've had such a good time in an Uber or Lyft and you become an Uber or Lyft driver. Rami's mom has such a good time and it's not for the money. She's, she might not even understand how the money is made or not. She's literally doing it for the social interact action in order to meet and greet and, and meet up with people. She's picking them up, but we also find that not everyone likes being talked to and she is all she is not always the best driver. Lyft driver. 
Rami's mom has an, her own agenda for doing this, and I'll bet you it'll make you think twice about why you take Lyft and who you're taking Lyft with and how they act towards you. Because it definitely made me think twice. I started realizing that sometimes when the Lyft driver talks to you, it's because they feel lonely. They want a friend, and you get to be their friend for the 10, 15, 20 minutes that you're in their car. So mom's becomes this Lyft driver, washes the car, gets it Lyft ready, adds some drinks and mint in the back, and each fare she picks up seems to be worse and worse and meaner and meaner and meaner and meaner. And you almost feel bad for her, and you start feeling bad for your Lyft driver. Uh, the first call, of course, this this very privileged person is just cursing. It's like, I'm here, which always happens with the Lyft driver where the car goes somewhere where it's not supposed to and then comes back. And we all get so frustrated. But watching it from the perspective of the driver and Rami's mom, watching it from Mesa made me maybe feel like I'm never going to get mad at my Uber driver for not picking me up where I am, where I'm at. It was actually a very, very nice moment to watch it happen. It was very introspective, to say the least. Now, Mom's driving Lyft. She's doing all kinds of things. She has all these ideas. She wants to be, in her mind, she wants to be the best Lyft driver in the world. She's going to provide water and mints and conversation. Then she starts taking it a next step and she starts providing food. I mean, that's one of her best things to do is that she is a provider and a cook. So why not use both skills? She makes, as we see, Tupperwares and Tupperware and Tupperwares of food and gets them all prepared and ready. And you're thinking, oh, it's for her family. No, it's actually she's taking it and, and telling the, the passengers to feel free to get some food or take whatever food is there. The passengers feel uncomfortable with this. And we see one passenger who gets out and it's like, and she's like, but you have seven minutes left in the ride, and it's okay. I, I would just like to walk anyway. It's a nice day, and, and that's a real thing. We get a lot of that, and once again, it makes you realize who you are in relation in relation to your uh, to your Uber or Lyft driver. That's how it makes you feel. We we live in this shared economy where Uber drivers and Lyft drivers make a living do this doing this work. And sometimes we take it for granted and take them for granted the same way that Rami was taking for granted and taking her his mom for granted at the same time. It was a very interesting dichotomy. But not all the rides were bad. No. In comes Mr. French. Bonjour. Bonjour. We get the, we, we get the French passenger, uh, Jacques, or played by the actor Jean Brassard. 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 He gets in the car and immediately they bond over the fact that they're both foreign and then it comes out that they both speak French. Of course, a lot of uh, people from the Middle Eastern diaspora of French uh, becomes a part of the language. Whether you live in France, I mean, whether you live in Egypt, of course, there are some countries that are Arab related, Morocco, Algeria, that are French speaking countries as well. You get that a lot through the the Muslim world. I mean, we, it's it's very common. Senegal, for example, people speak French. It's the the native tongue. So you get a lot of French influence when you when it comes to the Middle East. The French were were very much influential in the Middle East. A, a lot of Iranian uh, citizens, of course, expats live in France, and French becomes part of the culture. Lebanon, very French oriented uh, places. So. Here we get Rami's mom, who's Palestinian, grew up in, in Egypt, also lived in France, speaks French fluently. Not a shocking thing in the Arab world, but it's interesting to realize how many Americans might not have been aware of that. How many Americans would, might not be aware that a lot of Middle Easterners are trilingual, if nothing else. My French is a little rusty, uh, but my brother's French, for example, is, is almost excellent. It just depends. Uh, how much practice you get and where all you went to school, but that's the concept. So she speaks French. They bond immediately and they're talking and she's Rami's mom. Mesa is just having a good time. You can tell she relaxes. She has a smoke with him. They talk and she's enamored by the idea of someone being interested in her, telling her how beautiful she is and how she looks like a superstar and and she was like when I was younger, maybe. And, and it was just such a 
there was a it started out innocent, but then it moved on to flirting and and it's more more than her just flirting. She's being receptive. She's being receptive to being complimented. She's being receptive to be being treated nice. She's being receptive to not being taken for granted. This is a person who seems to value her company and her opinion, and it makes her feel so wanted. You actually forget that she's she's got a family. She's got a husband. You're like, well, he doesn't pay her attention. He is her family's always gone. At least this guy's there. It's such a such a great momentous equation that they place in the show. It's also something that you don't hear or see often from a Middle Eastern woman, and it reminds you that Middle Eastern women are people too, and and it's something that needs to be reminded of, especially in Middle Eastern diaspora families. So we get the the bonding over over French to the point where it makes her want to remember. She goes home and starts looking through old photos. Rami's mom looks through old photos and remembers who she is. And through remembering who she is, she also finds the dad. She starts seeing themselves together and how it was and how it used to be and how pretty and young she was. And she feels vibrant and vivacious again, uh, vivacious again. And, and, And Farouk is still not really paying attention to her. She's paying attention to herself. So when she gets the call, and this is after her being, basically she was a little dismayed. And another piece of bonding that happened between her and Jock was, of course, of how America treats them or how America feels. And even though she realizes how great America has been to her and her family, she also misses home. And Jock, in a way, feels much like home and vice versa. So when he calls again, guess what? She's ready to go. She she gets dressed up. Mom gets puts her freakum dress on. She puts her freakum dress on. Yeah, it was a blouse, but still. She gets her freakum wear on and she's ready to go and she's ready to go out in the world and she thinks in a way, yes, we know this isn't a date, but it's like a date. Jock had asked for her personal number, asked for her number personally and was basically like, I'll call you every time I need a ride. So she's thinking that Jock wants to take her out. Maybe they'll hang out some more. They'll... She wants to be attractive. She wants to hear those compliments again. You don't feel like she might actually cheat, but it's possible. But you're more you're more feeling like she enjoys his attention. She enjoys hearing the things that she hasn't heard in what seems to be a very long time. And when she picks up Jock, there's a new passenger involved. There's an added passenger, an added bonus. Jacques, who says, comes in and is like, bonjour, bonjour, Mesa. And Mesa's like, who the f- are you? And of course, it turns out to be Jock's wife. And that she felt like she was lied to. She was deceived. He misrepresented himself. He played himself, especially if you watched uh, in the beginning. He played himself almost as if he was single. You felt some type of attraction between the two. There was some type of camaraderie, something. There was more than just the average, these are friends. There was a lot more. There was a lot of flirtation going on. There was a little bit of touching and, and hair tie, and there was the hair back, and he seemed to be hitting on her, and it was very shocking to find out that, yes, indeed, he is married. He's married. And uh, here, Jock's married, and the wife's in the car, and now it feels awkward, and now Mesa feels betrayed. Yes, she acts betrayed. She feels betrayed. She drops them off at the airport and then speeds off speeds off as if something had just happened. And we all know from that perspective, she's so sad because she was in the way smitten. Now, the question is, was she smitten with Jock or was she smitten with the idea of Jock? Was she actually in, in not love, but lust or in like with Jock? Or was she in like with the idea of a man who showed her attention? That's what makes it very important to distinguish. And I'm under the under the thought that it was showing her attention. It made her feel good. And yes, Jock wasn't a uh, he wasn't difficult on the eyes. He's cute and a nice handsome older gentleman who seemed to have his stuff together. He spoke very well. He was eloquent. And of course the French. Once you hit them with the bonjour, wee oui, wee, oui, then you already know where that's going. So mom, mom takes that ride, but then gets frustrated when Jock has a wife and speeds off. And then mom goes home and dad's on the couch as always. And mom brings up her French and dad says, I miss that you don't speak French. And she goes, I used to 
speak French. And he's like, yeah, you used to speak to me all the time in French. You used to curse in French. I used to sometimes make you mad just to hear you curse in French. That was actually a very cute, very sexy line. It, 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 besides what it sparked, the concept of liking something of someone so much that you put yourself through aggravation just to get it. It was a, it was a very spark, spontaneous moment. And then, of course, spontaneously, they kiss mom and dad, rekindle uh, some type of sexual energy. Ra, uh, Farouk and Misa, Misa kiss. And kissing leads to touching, and touching leads to getting it on right there on the couch. Hey everybody, before we move on to our next topic, I do want to let you know about Anchor, because Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It gives you everything you need in one place for free, just like this show, which you can use right from your phone or computer. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great, just like this one, and they'll even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere podcasts are heard, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. You can easily make money from your podcast too with no minimum listenership. Get started today by downloading the Anchor app or you can go to anchor.fm. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. We get it on on the couch. Kids are away. The adults, the parents will play. Now, we don't know when the kids are going to come home. In the whole time, I was thinking Rami or Dina's going to come home. It's going to be a thing. They're going to have to like mix up. I just felt that tension that... I felt worried for them, but of course they never did. They are having sex, but that wasn't the point of the scene. The point of the scene was not only how quick it kind of went, but the fact that she enjoyed it so immensely. And right after Farouk was back into the movie to the point where he rewound and was like, this is the funniest parts we're missing and changes and rewinds it to get to that funny part. And it's just like, yeah, uh, Misa had a, a moment but it was gone that Farouk would be Farouk would be Farouk would be Farouk. But Misa is a bit content. She goes out and she has this epiphany and this moment of thought. You can only tell it on her face on the porch. And she just thinks to herself, oh, what a wonderful life. Now let's get into episode eight, Saving Michaela. But before we do, I just want to take the time to thank all of you at home for being, if not as much, more a part of this panel than all of us. And by all of us, I mean just me right now. But the concept is we appreciate each and every one of you for watching all of our after shows. We ask you to please share and subscribe and comment. When you comment, it boosts us in the rating and more people can find us and we get to share even more great content. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, give us that five stars we so greatly deserve. But until you guys do, I would love to give a shout out to all the people that have been writing the comments. We appreciate each and every one of you and let you know, thank you so much for letting us be the ESPN of TV talk. We do talk about all your favorite programs and all your favorite programs are probably something that I host. So make sure to stay tuned and share and subscribe. Now, episode eight, Saving Michaela. Saving Michaela was a, okay, we had mom, we had a mom storyline. Okay, we had a D in the storyline. Okay, but now we need to get back to the crutch that is Rami. And that's what Saving Michaela does. We get more Rami than we have in a, in a little while. We get Rami and we get back to the affair that he's having with Selma. It's almost as if we forgot. We thought maybe it would have been a one-time thing, but now it seems that it was, if nothing else, on again, off again. They seem very comfortable in having just had intercourse and laying in bed together and it's in that moment and what Rami does and I'd love to know what your thoughts on are on this uh, all of you at home Rami pulls out a gift except it's not for Selma the gift is for Ali her son her son with her husband who she's still married to it's almost hard to hard to remember because we enjoy Rami so much that Rami is part of an affair an affair, sure, Salma has a has a bigger part to play. She's married, but Rami is breaking all kind of codes, especially the one at his mosque. A, a, a moral code, a religious code, an ethical code, and a brotherly code. He's breaking them all, and here he is buying something for Ali, and Salma freaks 
the F out. I mean, Selma's like, oh my God, why would you ever do that? Why would you buy something for my son? Who are you to think of my son? And she is not having it. She is not happy with it. And the gift was simply, it was a, what, a $2 fidget spinner? One of the spinners that you just put on, put between your thumb and your forefinger, you spin around to pass the time. But I believe she was right. This isn't what you're for. This is a mistake. Rami's just such a nice guy. He wants to justify what he's doing, but you're not this child's father. And in fact, you are breaking or wrecking their home. You are a homewrecker. We would call that to any woman that did something similar. You are a homewrecker, Rami. And guess who reminds him of that? His best, best friend, my favorite, and my good friend, Mo Amr. Mo reminds Rami that he is a homewrecker. He calls Rami out in front of his son. They have a conversation right there in, in Mo's living room, and Mo's just like, you're a homewrecker. You're doing the worst thing. He's saying it in a fun tone, but you know he really, truly means it, especially since he comes from a married household himself. This is the unfathomable, the unthinkable. Rami is sleeping with a married woman. If this can happen to uh, this gentleman's wife, then it maybe happen to his wife. That is how a feeling gets to play. And so Mo has his son call Rami a homewrecker. And it was the cutest scene. And Mo's having such a real conversation right in front of his son. And, and the son's just kind of not paying attention, not understanding until Mo's like, this is your uncle Rami. He's a homewrecker. And then Mo's son is like, homewrecker. He's like, yeah, homewrecker. And this goes back to the concept of when Rami, two episodes ago, was confronted by Salma's son, Ali. And Ali was like, are you a bad guy? And we had a double entendre. Here we go again. Another one where it's just blatantly in your face. And Rami is coming up with an existential crisis of some sorts. What he's doing is wrong. He sees himself as a good person, and yet what he's doing is wrong. And how do we justify that within ourselves? That is the big existential question that is being asked. That is the moral implication is we think of ourselves as good, but we still often do bad things. And how do we perceive that? How do we internalize that? How can we digest that? Rami and Mo in front of the sun. But Mo's not the only friend that Rami has. So Rami goes over to Steven's house. And here's the interesting thing. Steven, of course, being a paraplegic and not having full use and control of all of his limbs, is there. And he's met some girl. He met some girl online. He met some girl playing a game. And he's like, she wanted to meet up today. And Rami's like, well, this must be fate. I haven't seen you in a while. This must be why I'm here. And Rami volunteers because he's running away from his problems. He volunteers to take Steve very far away to meet with this young lady. Once we get there, um, we find out a whole bunch of things that were unbeknownst to all of us about this girl. The whole way we're driving, we are questioning what girl would sleep with Steve. Now, before it gets too critical, let's remember, Steve is a is a quadriplegic who doesn't have use of his limbs and doesn't actually have limbs. Rami's had to hold him above the toilet. Rami and his family, he's, we see him, he's breathing oxygen. I mean, he, he's at risk of dying at any given time. So for Rami, he's like, who is this girl? What, does she know? Does she know that you're, how is this going to work? What's going to happen? What are the logistics if you do get it on? And Steve's like, I need this one. I need to get there. And I can understand that. Steve doesn't look like he's the type of guy that gets just mad vagine, right? So the concept is we can feel for Steve going up to the place. We can understand where he's at, and we can wonder what happened or what could happen. Um, in between that, Rami goes to the gas station. Now, this is one of my favorite scenes of the entire season, the gas station scene, because I understand where it comes from. You meet someone who's the same race, character, uh, ethnicity countrymen and they immediately think they have a camaraderie with you or a rivalry with you and in this case we get that where the gas station attendant perceives that rami is muslim and rami has gone inside uh has gone inside shortly after ramadan he's gone inside the store to purchase beer and condoms beer and condoms and the the store owner is looking at him like he must be crazy he's buying these things like obviously he's not a good muslim and we know that we know that but 
other Muslims don't know that. I mean, there's a facade that you keep up amongst other Muslims in order to let them think that everything is is halal, everything is kosher, everything is blessed. You are a practicing Muslim, of course. Everyone falters, but you try to live to the best of your ability. That's not what Rami did. Rami's out there buying, basically, he should be buying cocaine. And he's he's giving off the the vibe that he's the one to do it he even throws in it's not for me it's for my friend and then goes you know what it's for me because at that point what else can he do right is he going to run out and bring this person a bottle and bottle opener no he just needs to get this transaction done with especially when the gas station attendant uh asks uh, it gives him the judgmental look and rami goes it's for my friend in the car and then uh the gas station attendants asks well, bring your friend in then. And, of course, that friend being Steve, it's not that easy to lug lo- lo- Steve around. And so Rami just says, you know what? It is for me. It is for me. And then the gas station attendant sells him the items, but he's definitely judging him upon the purchase of these items. Uh, and it looks bad. And, of course, Steve and one of the, the alcohol and the the condoms because he's on his way to see this girl and he goes to the girl and we find that Michaela and her friend are very much underage. Man, that was such a revelation where we get these underage, we get these underage girls. Sheesh. That was tough because you go in and you're like, are you sure? Are they, maybe they're 18, maybe, but we all feel some type of way, especially when you get a close up on the friend's face. The friend is definitely a, is definitely a minor. I mean, Christy, Christy is definitely a minor. She has braces. You're looking at Christy played by Madison Hine, um, who is, by the way, just to let you know, is, of course, a young actor who's on her way up. And we get Michaela, who is played by Alexis G. Zoll. Uh, Alexis Zoll is also, she, at least she wasn't y- the younger of the two. Alexis is a little older. But they're both underage. And Rami, is, who now has gone out of his way, taken his friend on this adventure all the way up to where they are, uh, gotten out the ramp because there were two steps instead of one. And he had to get out the ramp. Rami is now in an awkward situation. He wants to be loyal to his friend who introduces Rami as his aide, but he thinks that this is trouble and he tries to warn Steve. He's like, Steve, we need to get the hell out of here. These girls are underage. I'm not going to jail. Parents don't seem to be around. They have alcohol. They seem to have ditched school. And then Rami sees little tidbits like her her marionette picture where she's a band member, which is recent. Her ass, she's in high school. And, and it's just a situation where Steve says something that's so real. He says, I don't get the opportunities you do. Rami says, yeah, I think they're underage. Steve says, I know, they're 16. She's 16. Rami's like, we need to get out of here. Steve's like... 16 is the age of consent in New Jersey. Most of us would never feel comfortable with that. Uh, Most of us would have a problem with that. I mean, I've never even understood what people with that age difference even talk about. Like, what do you have in common besides your sexual organs? It's actually a very perverse way to think. But then you got to see it from Steve's perspective as well. And Steve is doing such a quote unquote guy thing, which is something we're way more aware of now than we've ever been in history where Steve is just trying to get some. And that is the one where it's so refreshing to see Rami not falter or waver on his moral compass. Even though he allows Steve to stay, it's with the warning. It's after all the information and he's still very rare. He's very reluctant. He doesn't really want the girls to drink. He doesn't want to, and he brings all that up. He's actually a very good friend at this time. The only thing he could have done is if he snagged Steve, put him in the car, and made them leave, which would have been maybe crossing a brown. But still, the girls are underage. Now, while everything is going on inside uh, with Gamer Girl with Gamer Girl and, and Steve on the inside, where we get 
Michaela and him inside a room. On the outside, we get Christy, who is the younger sister, we believe. We're not exactly sure. It never actually clarified on the show. They could be very good friends in very similar situations, but we're going with sister. We get Christy outside, and Christy is clearly depressed. So depressed that Rami's actually willing to take his first taste of alcohol because she seems so down. He doesn't know what else to do to impress and relieve her. He he's like, I'll take alcohol, I'll drink alcohol with you. Let's you don't have to you don't have to take measures or be depressed, or better yet, you don't have to commit suicide because we do see that reference being made and the cuts. If you notice the cuts that were on, and I'm showing my arm, I have no cuts, but if you saw the cuts where she had been cutting her wrist from side to side, remember that in a term of medical endearment is a show or a cry for help. Clearly, she knows how to commit suicide if properly. Anyone and everyone does. However, this is a young girl who just wants to be loved. She wants to be loved. And it seems we get this other tip of the story that that Michaela hooked up with her boyfriend, had sex with her boyfriend, and that's bothering her. And and we get that Chrissy's just ultimately sad. There's clearly some psychological trauma in this person, whether it's a lack of family or a lack of lack of good people in her circle or just a lack of a trust in herself. She's having a tough time adjusting. She's not enjoying the grown-up part. And, and Rami keeps bringing that up. And Chrissy keeps getting closer and closer to Rami, both figuratively, metaphorically, and and here's the kicker, physically, getting closer Rami. And Rami is backing up. Rami is trying to not act. He's trying to be cool and act cool without being cool or acting cool. He's backing up. Chrissy at one point is like, let me smell your beard. He backs up. He's dodging and weaving like he's Mike Tyson and Tyson punch out. Um, it was really a great scene to watch as Rami is just taken back. And, and there are points in all the shows where Rami's comedy comes to life and you see the comedy we see things that are his jokes outside of the show here we get the concept of Michaela needing saving now when I say Michaela needs saving Michaela goes into some type of uh shock from the drinking so much I mean she had poured tequila Rami was like, I don't drink and he won't either. I'm his aide. Don't. She drank all the tequila. And then she also had part of the bottle herself. So she's, and she's probably been drinking all day without food. So she's a little drunk. She's a little tipsy. Steven goes in the room with her. Then she starts barfing and you can see the barf come out of the room. Steven has locked the door. Steven does not have the ability to open the door. Here, we get an interesting perspective where it's something that's happening in real time. Rami has to react. Rami's only thing of way of doing anything to help is to break down the door. So, of course, he at first uses the shoulder as weak. Then Christy Googles how to break down a door, and it tells him to use his legs. He kicks and he kicks and he kicks and he kicks down that door. And while he's doing it, he's yelling, Hello, Wakbar! Allah Akbar. And, and even Chrissy gets in on the action where she yells, Allah Akbar. And um, here's the thing. I want everyone to understand this is a phrase we're going to go over, of course, uh, a phrase, Allah Akbar. So keep that in your mind as we get to our special segment. We are very close. But let me get to this, is that Michaela now is uh, free of being trapped in her room with Steve and Rami and Steve are in their minds, you know, they're thinking we should just leave. This is going to be trouble. Rami's like, we should call. Chrissy cuts down cops, no cops. And Rami's like, You're, no cops. So they grab Chrissy and they grab her sister. They grab her sister and they take her to the hospital. And that's when we meet the lawyer, and we see that the hospitals are always packed, and that has a thing to play with anything that comes up medical for future reference in the show. Hospitals are always packed. If you see, it was actually the psychology ward that was a little open, and and Chrissy was willing to walk through that darkness, which actually makes me think about how she reacts at home, that darkness to get to a pillowcase so she could just stay there. But it doesn't work that way. She is put in intensive care and treatment. And that treatment is going to last approximately seven. I mean, six. It's going to last a moment, right? So we don't know. Michaela, and when Michaela is and when Michaela is taken, who comes to Rami's rescue? 
David. We see David in this episode. He's a doctor. And David comes out and he's like, um, I, I deal with this all the time. Come in and takes her through the back so that Rami doesn't have to go through the front. Now, Mikhail is in the hospital, presumably being saved. This could have all went back. I remember feeling so anxious for them as I'm walking, watching the episode. Because once again, the same way I felt in episode 7, when mom and dad were remembering, I felt that, um, I felt that uh, when Rami and Christy or Steve and, and Michaela were in the room, or if maybe when they were all together, parents were going to come home. And somehow Rami, who was almost an innocent bystander, was going to get in a lot of trouble just for being there. And I was worried, but that's not what happened. So, whoo! Oh, we made it. Rami's clear and free, right? No. Rami goes home. And Dad is waiting. Abba? Abba is waiting in the corner waiting for Rami and says, and Rami knows immediately something's wrong. Abba doesn't stay up this late. Abba doesn't just sit in the corner. Abba explains the reason he sits in that corner is because it makes him feel closer to his family. And then he explains his day to Rami. And he received a phone call from a man from the mosque that he had become friends with. And this man tells him a story of how he works a lot, and he came home today, and he found his wife crying in the kitchen, and then she confesses everything and how she's been sleeping with a boy named Rami, Yusuf, Rami, and uh, I was going to say Rami Yusuf, but Rami Hassan, and then um, the dad, the cat is out of the bag, the dad knows, and, that, and, and, and look, here's the thing about being Middle Eastern, Having, I, I would almost rather go to jail than have my dad find out something bad about me. I mean, that shame, that guilt, that, yeah, he doesn't get hit. No, he doesn't even raise his voice. Farouk doesn't even raise his voice. But Rami just, who's always been on the fence about his activity and his his uh, his dealings, man, he felt like lower than scum. He sat there and just had, no, his jaw was just open though. And, and, and Farouk explained how coming to America, he thought he was doing the right thing for his family. He took it all the way back to immigration. That's the real guilt. That's when you know you're in trouble. That's when you know the worst isn't when you're getting yelled at. The worst isn't when you're getting spanked. The worst is when you have disappointed your parent. And her, his dad is disappointed. But then he relates to the time his father seemed to be disappointed with him for coming to America. So we hear Giddu, uh grandfather be be brought up and there's these tapes that exist where the tapes uh Farouk didn't know how to contact his family so he would mail them tapes and then the grandfather started mailing tapes back and the and the tapes you would think they're going to be fun good tapes but no the tapes were why did you leave to go you were you are a disgrace and and we see that dichotomy between Rami and his father except what Rami's done is such a burden and shame on the entire family, especially this is someone at their mosque. Oh my gosh, this was such a strong episode. It was, it had the adventure, and we learned about Rami and Steve uh, and their friendship because we'd been missing Steve. And now we get, and we, and we were thinking, like, what is going to happen? This affair has to, something has to happen. But we weren't suspecting that he would get found out by his parents. Maybe the husband would come in, something. But no, this was a straight, the wife told. And it all started off with Rami getting her son a toy. And that is all for uh, episode seven, uh, Nemik. And episode 8, Saving Michaela. Let's get into that special segment, shall we? Special segment with Rami. Every week, we will be learning a new word, a Rami word. It's an Arabic word, but it's a word that we learned on Rami. This week's word is astaghfirullah, which translates to I seek forgiveness from Allah. But it is used in the same way of oh my God or... It's actually used when you know you're doing something wrong. It's, it's used in a playful way most of the times. Uh, or it's used when it is serious. It's used from one person to another. But astaghfirullah, if you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, it's like, oh, I seek forgiveness from Allah for you. Uh, people do it often. If you 
do something wrong or you're doing something, even if it's playfully wrong, it comes up a lot. So astaghfirullah is astaghfirullah. And that's what it means. I seek forgiveness from Allah. Let's get into some news and gossip while we can. After Buzz TV News. News and gossip. We find two must-read Rami interviews. One is on Vulture, how a lifelong friendship led to Steve Way's Rami role. We find out that Rami and Steve Way are actually lifelong friends and that Steve Way is a stand-up comedian uh, from New Jersey and that they grow up, grew up together and they're real-life best friends. And Steve Way has muscular dystrophy. And here we discuss how he substitutes his income as a substitute teacher at Rutherford High School where he's from Rutherford, New Jersey, and it's great to watch this friendship blossom on screen. You might want to read it on Vulture. You learn so much insight into Steve. And we also get the concept of Rami. And when I say Rami, Rami can teach you how to voodoo. And if you remember, voodoo is the wash uh, before you you pray at the at the at the mosque. So he definitely wrote, and that's also on Vulture, so make sure to find that. Rami is winning, and that's in a big way. Everyone is catching on to Rami. It's actually a talk of a town. If you've driven down anywhere on Sunset, you see the billboards everywhere you go. So make sure to tune into Rami, Rami all the time. We appreciate you for watching us each and every week. We do have more. I will be back and we're going to have a full panel next time uh real quick let's uh let you know where to find me find me at i am tehran all across the board that's i-a-m-t-e-h-r-a-n all across the board that's instagram facebook and twitter uh and also hosting and paneling on a slew of after buzz after shows i'm always around i love the same tv programs that all of you do so make sure to tune in for more rami uh, next time we are going, and this is the thing. Remember, the next two episodes we covered, 9 and 10, Dude, Where's My Country and Cairo Cowboy. I don't know what they're about, but I cannot wait to find out. They are the last two episodes of Rami Hulu, Hulu's Rami Season 1. So make sure to stay tuned for the next time. Until then, to infinity and beyond, Ma salama. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.